This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante, sitting in for Shoshana Buxbaum. There are some things that simply can't be tested until the world changes, suddenly and drastically. And that's what happened in the past few years as the COVID-19 pandemic promoted sudden and involuntary alterations to nearly all of our social routines. It's now pretty well known that these changes have vastly impacted the relationships we have with those around us. Many of us saw our friends a lot less. We saw our immediate family members a lot more. This was good in some ways for us. This was bad in some ways for us. And it was just different in a lot of ways for a lot of us. But it also turns out that these big changes in day-to-day life, they also impacted the connections that we have with fictional characters and celebrities. These are what researchers call parasocial relationships. A new study reveals that these connections changed quite a bit during the pandemic, a time in which people's favorite media personalities became a little more important to them and a little closer to their real-life friends and family members. Joining me today is the author of that study. Brad Bond is a professor of communication studies at the University of San Diego. His work takes a social psychological approach to investigating the relationship between media exposure and various health and identity outcomes. Brad Bond, welcome. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Could we start today by talking about how your relationship, your relationships with friends and family members and colleagues changed during COVID. Who did you connect more deeply with or who did you become more detached from? Oh my, quite the question. My family is in the Midwest and I am on the West Coast. So I have long used technology to connect with my family. I've long used technology to be the primary connection with my own family. Um, I noticed that we started to use new avenues of technology to communicate with each other. Rather than simply relying on FaceTime, we would experiment with um, various social media apps uh, that were geared toward communication um, in unique settings or in interesting ways. For example, uh, Netflix released the the Party application, which is basically... A, the idea that you can watch your favorite television shows with people who aren't in the same room as you. How was that? How was that experience for you? Because I, I, I heard a lot of people, we tried it. We didn't really like it. Like a lot of people were sort of weirded out by it. And, and a lot of people were like, this is just like going to the movies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I found it to be just as annoying as watching a television show with my family in real life. <laughs> Yes, my mother would ask questions and, you know, that it's like we're watching the show. Um, but, you know, we, we experimented with new new apps and things of that nature. Uh, my friend network did the same. We were very big fans of the trend that was um, playing trivia or games online with your friends while you also chatted with them via video conferencing software, things of that nature. It actually reestablished some personal relationships for me. So some friends who I had kind of lost touch with, we kind of uh, started to use these technologies to check in on each other over the pandemic. Uh, and then my partner and I both started to work from home. So we became much closer and became much better at conflict resolution uh, as we both lived and worked from our thousand square foot condo. Was, <laughs> was that difficult? You said we became much closer. 
this probably didn't happen all at once, though, right? It wasn't like, oh, we're we're locked into this thousand square foot condo now, and now we're the best buddies ever. Like, I assume absolutely not. I assume it was a little rocky. You are correct. Yes, uh, he speaks much louder in conference calls than I do. Uh, there were <laughs> discussions over, you know, how we would spend the evening when you were uh, spending every evening together in your home. So, yeah, certainly there was some conflict. This sort of conforms with what your study found about traditional social relationships. And this is, I think, a little contrary to some of our expectations and probably some of our fears about what has happened during this traditional social relationships mostly maintain their stability during social distancing. That that finding seemed a little surprising to me. Yeah, so our social relationships, uh, and in this study, when I say social relationships, we were measuring people's peer friendships. And our social relationships are durable. And in fact, what this study suggests is that they're durable enough to outlast a, a pandemic. Uh, we rely on our friends for guidance, for support, um, for information and entertainment. And we found ways to do that uh, that didn't involve seeing each other face to face. And, you know, this does align with some recent research on long distance relationships. And a lot of this research is conducted with college students. Uh, particularly college freshmen, because not only are they easily accessible to academics who are doing this research, but they actually are going through a life experience where they have been you know, jolted from their previous social network. And they're now in a new environment where they have to maintain that social network or make decisions about um, dissolving certain friendships and creating others. And wait, during early... the pandemic, we were all like college freshmen? <laughs> in one way or another, you might say this that. makes totals. Okay, so first of all, I don't know about you, but I put on the COVID nineteen, and I know that's that's a freshman thing too. There's my mind's been blown. You, uh, you are not the only one. I can promise you that. My gym hasn't seen me in a while, uh, <clears throat> but uh, yes, it, it's kind of the idea that uh, we experience this sudden abrupt change in our social network, much like uh, a college freshman. Some more recent research has actually tried to expand on that idea by looking at individuals in the military who are deployed and how they maintain their relationships back home. But what we found is that in the last 10 years in particular, but even a little, little longer than that, people have been able to adapt using technology. Okay. So, so this is fascinating, but there's this whole other set of relationships that you are also interested in. And I think a lot of us probably don't even think of these connections as relationships per se, but these are the attachments that we have to fictional characters and celebrities. What did we know before COVID about these connections, these experiences uh, that you and other researchers call uh, parasocial relationships? Yes. So the study of parasocial relationships really began in the 1950s, which coincides with the saturation of the television in the mainstream market in uh, the United States and in Western cultures, at least. And psychologists started to study the concept of parasocial relationships with your local newscaster. There was actually this argument that because you watched your local news probably every evening, Monday through Friday, and it was the same anchor sitting at the same desk 
looking directly into the camera and informing you of things that were happening in your own neighborhood that you start that you could easily develop a connection, a social emotional connection to that individual, potentially similar to your real life connections. Who would be like a like this guy's your serious uncle who comes and visits with you for an hour every night right around dinner time? Absolutely. And in fact, early research compared the parasocial concept to a good neighbor. So a lot of research actually showed that you weren't as close to your favorite television anchor as you were to your close friends, but you were closer to your favorite television anchor than you were to what you would consider a good neighbor. Except for your anchor never comes over and helps you like cut the hedges. That's... (laughs) Unless you have a very, very small market uh, (laughs) that you are watching your news in, you are probably right. Your anchor never does come over to help you cut the hedges. This this idea of parasocial relationships develops over the decades, and it expands so that we're not just thinking about the anchors. We start thinking about other people as well who have this closeness, this intimacy that's actually not intimate. Or how how, how do you think of it? Yes, uh, I often do use the word perceived intimacy. So Mm. the way I define this concept when I'm talking about it in in research or uh, with individuals who have an interest is that these are really kind of social emotional bonds that we have with individuals who we only know on screen. And traditionally, the defining feature of a parasocial relationship is the lack of reciprocity. Right. So you're watching your favorite television show or you're engaged with your favorite celebrity And you feel as if they're talking to you. You feel as if you're happy when they're happy. You're sad when they make a mistake. You experience emotions that go along with a social relationship. But obviously, the celebrity or fictional character, for that matter, isn't experiencing the same relationship with you. And it used to be that there was almost a complete and total lack of reciprocity. And then the social media age has like jetted us into a world where, you know, there's a chance, however slight, that at some point your favorite celebrity is going to tweet back at you. You are correct. And there has been debate in the literature and debate among scholars as to whether that constitutes a parasocial relationship transitioning into a social relationship. My strong belief is that we may experience momentary experiences of computer-mediated interaction with a parasocial other. The relationship, the connection is still one-sided. But there has been a moment in which some type of interpersonal interaction has occurred between you and the parasocial other. I should also note that the influence of social media on our perceived connections is not limited to celebrities. We have also actually found that people follow their favorite fictional characters on Twitter. And oftentimes these accounts have millions of followers and the people who are running the account tweet as if they are the fictional character. So they're not necessarily promotional accounts or satire accounts, but they're actually Twitter accounts set up to make you feel like you're talking to uh, Lord Voldemort, for example, who has over a million followers on Twitter. Um, Or recently I noticed Ted Lasso is reaching 600,000 followers on Twitter. So these, these fictional characters are also on social media. Well, and okay. So you mentioned Ted Lasso and I think that's, this is a good marker, at least in my experience, because as I've been watching that show with my family, 
Ted feels like part of the family. It is a weird thing, but these are these are this also parasocial relationships where even if these people aren't, you know, clapping back at you on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, there is a, a closeness and a connection and a imbalance, right? Because I'm clearly more invested in Ted Lasso than Ted Lasso actually is in me, given the fact that Ted Lasso doesn't exist. A hundred percent. Yes, very much so. And I should note, we obviously can tell the difference between when we're interacting with somebody in real life and when we are watching somebody on screen. The brain likes to take shortcuts, and we're constantly using our cognitive heuristics to process information. There's some research that actually suggests that the parts of the brain that are active when you're processing a face, when you're engaging in someone and determining if they have personhood, are the same, whether that face is somebody that you're looking at directly in front of you, or if it's somebody that is uh, two-dimensional on a television screen. So this idea that we would develop some type of connection with people on screen makes perfect sense. It's human nature for us to establish social relationships. It's good for social order. It's good for progress. So the brain sees someone on television that looks as if they have personhood and processes that individual uh, the same way they would somebody that you meet in real life. This idea of parasocial relationships has been evolving sort of fairly slowly over the decades. And then COVID hits. And you had this idea. You wanted to figure out how these sorts of relationships are changing. So you set up a study. In, in this case, you get a group of 166 people and you sent them four waves of surveys with questions about social closeness and parasocial closeness. What jumped out at you about these parasocial relationships, these, these connections that people have to characters and celebrities? It was probably in March of 2020 when governments, political pundits, you know, social commentators started to use the term social distancing quite regularly. And we started talking about quarantine behaviors and isolation. And news articles started to appear that suggested we were spending more time with screens. If you are quarantined to your home, you're spending significantly more time with your television than you would be if you were not in quarantine. And it immediately made me think that if we're spending more time with screens, how are we engaging with the individuals that we experience when we're watching screens? And then simultaneously, if we're spending more time with screens, that means we're spending less time with real life others because we are quarantining, we are social distancing, we're spending more time in our homes. Research in parasocial relationships has traditionally shown that individuals who are extroverted, individuals who have the psychological toolkit to be a social butterfly, to make friends really easily, are the same individuals that establish parasocial relationships with ease. So when the concept was developed, there was an argument that parasocial relationships might be stronger for people who are uh, lonely, who don't develop really strong social connections, that it might compensate, if you will. But research actually showed the opposite. It was people who have really strong social connections that also connect parasocially. So I was thinking about this idea that we're spending more time indoors, we're spending less time with our real life friends. The compensatory function of parasocial relationships hasn't really been supported in research. But what happens when there's this abrupt change to our social routine? Can our favorite characters and celebrities compensate for a lack of social interaction. And in sure, I mean, that's 
what you found. You found that there was a pretty significant uh, increase in, in the closeness that people felt to these parasocial people. <laughs> yes. Do I have that right? Yes, absolutely. So as you, as you noted, we measured parasocial closeness uh, four separate times, two weeks in between. So depending on when the participant entered the study, we collected data from April to June of 2020 and used growth analysis to look at parasocial closeness, basically meaning that we were able to track the strength of their relationships with their favorite parasocial others, celebrities or fictional characters, over that um, eight-week period, and then measure how strongly those relationships grew. And as you said, uh, we did see strong growth in parasocial relationships over that period, particularly for individuals who spent less time with their real-life social network, which actually does support the compensation idea of parasocial relationships. So the less time that you spent with your real life friends in person during the first few months of the pandemic, the stronger you felt connected to your favorite fictional characters or celebrities. And this is this is sort of interesting to me, though, because what you found was that the strength of your perceived relationships with with your your traditional friends that maintained. But the time you were spending with them went down. And so this, what this seems to have been was compensation, not for the lack of closeness, for but for the lack of minutes. Is that a decent way to say it? Yes, arguably. Our social relationships saw somewhat of a dip at the first stage of data collection, but then plateaued. And we saw that really your social relationships with your real life friends were able to maintain. And that initial dip was interesting to me. I attempted to make an argument that that might have been from social distancing protocol. If you are spending time with your real life friends in person at the beginning of a pandemic, you're six feet apart, you're not engaged in physical touch, you're wearing protective covering over your face. And so we might've had some expectancy violation. Like this is not what my interactions with friends are supposed to be like. We had to get used to it. Exactly. So we felt this isn't right. I, I don't feel as close to my friend. But as we got used to that, our social relationships maintained uh, durability over the pandemic. And as you said, that meant that we were still feeling close to our friends, but because we weren't engaged with them, because we were lacking that social interaction, we might've been perceiving that we were gaining that interaction, that sociability from media. This like almost feels like the parasocial relationship was a little bit like a teddy bear. I like that. That That's a, a nice metaphor. I think that it, it makes perfect sense um, that we use our favorite media characters and celebrities as comfort, certainly. Okay, so I think some people might initially see this. If you just sort of look at the headline finding, you know, parasocial relationships increased during pandemic – I think some people might look at this and go, oh, God, this is another sign of the apocalypse. People are replacing real friends with fictional friends. But from what I'm getting here, this is not the way that you see these connections at all. No, not at all. And in fact, oftentimes when I talk about this concept, 
a lot of people wonder if there is a, a psychological disorder involved in establishing a strong parasocial relationship. I recently interviewed approximately 120 people across the United States about these connections that they have with fictional characters and celebrities. And many of those interviews started with, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but... And I always tell people that it is human nature for us to want to connect to others. It's like I mentioned before, it's good for our social existence. So it is no surprise that we establish these connections that for most people, a vast majority of people, they are perfectly healthy additions to one social network. Our parasocial relationships can lead to psychoses. Um, there are examples where very strong connections to fictional characters or celebrities have uh, been connected to other diagnosable psychological disorders. The example I often use is the individual who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan did so to impress a celebrity. And so there can be uh, these, these moments where the parasocial relationships become unhealthy, but I often argue that the relationship itself is not psychologically damning. It's likely some other challenge that an individual has that the parasocial relationship is an outlet for. This is not necessarily a slippery slope. This is a common human reaction. Absolutely. Was it also a bit of a mirror for you? Did you notice through this process that you were feeling more attached to the people you don't know personally, but you do feel connected to um, either as celebrities or the characters they play? I, I know you're a big 80s sitcom guy. I am. And uh, I will note that in the social sciences, we always uh, joke that we do me-search, not research, right? That we are engaged in research that has some kind of personal meaning to us or that has influenced us in some way, shape, or form. Television was absolutely my third parent growing up, and um, I've always had strong connections to characters. So uh, I think that I could probably validly say that, yes, I spent certainly more time with television and uh, saw myself engaging with characters um, that I might not have otherwise done so. There's this other thing you've suggested in this study that might be at play here. And I, I find this really interesting, that if our personal relationships are suddenly being mediated over video and social media, then what that means is that the mechanisms by which we're engaging with those that are close to us resembles in a much deeper way the ways in which we engage with people that we don't actually know. So, in fact, you found that the more time people spent communicating with real-life friends via screens, the stronger they perceive their parasocial relationships with fictional characters. Yes. So I had mentioned that the less time we spent with our real life friends in person, the stronger our parasocial relationships grew. But I also found that, as you noted, the more time that we spent with our friends via screens, the stronger our parasocial relationships grew. So the argument that I'm attempting to make there is that exactly as you noted, that it could be some type of change in processing such that the more time that we spend with our siblings, our family, our best friends, via apps, via you know FaceTime, the more they look like, right? The more they're two-dimensional, the more they're on screen, the more they seem like our favorite characters and our favorite celebrities. And in turn, we may be processing them even more closely to the way that we process 
our parasocial relationships, which could explain why they became a little bit more significant. This was a relatively short study conducted over a few months in the spring and summer of 2020. Yes. Do we have any evidence for how these relationships have been maintained or shifted as the pandemic has dragged on or as people have sought to return to something resembling, you know, what we, I guess, what we think of as normalcy again? Not that I know of, but I would love to continue that work. I do think it would be very interesting uh, that as we venture back out into the wild, uh, how our parasocial relationships are affected or even our media behaviors in general. If we've become more accustomed to communicating with our loved ones via these social apps and, and via screens, if we become more accustomed to spending more time with our parasocial others, um, or if things return to a pre-pandemic normal, um, so to say. This is a hard time to be anyone, but a pretty good time to be a social science researcher. Yes, you're not wrong. This uh, The social distancing behaviors and quarantine behaviors involved in the pandemic allowed individuals who study topics like this to do so in a natural setting that otherwise would have been um, completely impossible. So it's certainly an interesting time to engage in this type of work. That's Brad Bond. He's a professor of communication at the University of San Diego and the author of a new study on parasocial relationships. Brad, thank you. Thank you for having me. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 1030 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.